Welcome to the First Time Podcast. I'm your host, Tad. If this is your first time listening to the First Time Podcast, it's really, really simple. Either me or my guest are experiencing something for the first time, and we're going to talk about it. Now, today is a rare one because I have two guests, and none of us have seen this movie. Uh, my guests today are the hosts of the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, the nerds of nostalgia themselves, Greg D. and Genius McGee. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Hello, how's it going? Oh, I am doing great now that I'm talking to you guys. Um, we were just chatting before recording, as always, and uh, it's just good to catch up with you guys. Um, you might have remembered uh, Genius from the Nacho Libre episode. We, so we, we talked a little bit about how we met. Um, I met you guys through, of course, Jason Bollinger of Attack of the Killer podcast when I tagged along with him and Mike to Panic Fest one year. And um, I just love the Kansas City film horror groups. Like it's just a big welcome, open arms family that um, I just love visiting anytime we can. We try to have a good time. And of course, you're always welcome. Absolutely. Anytime. That's the one thing I think we're very fortunate here in the Kansas City area is to have a place where the we've kind of, we always like to, to joke, we've cultivated a film family. Right. Uh, but, you know, being able to still be able to experience films in the theater, uh, repertory, new releases, you know, because there's a reason that we love that kind of stuff. And Kansas City's a horror town. Oh, man. It loves its spooky shit. And, like, it's great because there's horror stuff all throughout the year. And even the closer it gets to Halloween, even we have to, like, okay, what are we going to do? There's this to do and that to do, but we can't do it all, you know? So, yeah, that's the one great thing about, like, Casey Horror. It's welcoming everybody, and there's always something. Yeah. Yeah, I always uh, am checking out, like, the Screenland Armors Facebook page, and I'm super jealous of the programming they have in general. But then, you know, you guys do your host, you host your showings there, and uh, you do, like, the Shutter Shoutouts, and you do the screen, or the Friday, Friday Night Frights. Um, it's just, like, I do some, you know, obviously book a lot of horror movies here at the Capitol, mm -hmm. but it's it's like a, it's basically a one-man show. It's basically me trying so hard, and it's like, struggling to drag my friends to get to the theater so I, I wish we had a little bit stronger we have a lot of horror fans here but they're just like it's it's like fighting tooth and nail to get them out of their houses and down to a theater to support cool things oh, especially nowadays yeah yeah i mean you guys know it more than anything but have you guys been having some uh some luck with your uh theatrical stuff resurgence it's like we there was times where we had maybe two people in the audience but like it's planted those seeds, man. Then two became four and four became six. And sometimes we go back to two, yeah. but <laughs> sometimes for the most part, it's, it's, it's growing and it's growing big. Um, we had a Friday the 13th showing on Friday the 13th. We showed part two and that was a great turnout. That's good. We, we showed a uh, final chapter and it was better turnout than I expected. Um, yeah. We, it's been like, a, we, the, the Capitol was closed for uh, the, um, well over a year uh, just recently. I think it was actually the, the final thing we showed before shuttering the doors was Friday the 13th, part three in 3D on March, Friday, March 13th. And then obviously like the 14th, uh, everything sort of went to shit. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like looking at, you know, when are we going to reopen? When should we get things going again? I was like, oh man, there's another Friday the 13th in August. We should have like Jason's back, the Capitol's back, uh, you know, back from the mm -hmm. dead. This will be fun. And then it was like, 
like two weeks before it was like and now the delta variant is like shit <laughs> like, right it, it almost deja vu it was like you know is this going to be the last thing we play again before we shut down again but luckily uh you know things have have not turned taken a turn for the absolute worse exactly it seemed like because our one of our last showings was friday the 13th and then it's just now on friday the 13th it started getting better but then and you're like okay so we're bookend for the 13th that's cool but then all of a sudden it starts getting all fucked up again and it's like come on man we're so close so close yeah we had that like little taste of freedom and it was like everything this summer and this fall we're gonna have halloween again it's gonna be an awesome october and it's like man like i'm 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 still hopeful we still have you know a month until then hopefully Mm -hmm. things it, it seems like we're doing it day by day so you know what they can never cancel halloween in our hearts Halloween is Halloween is where you make it. Yeah, that is absolutely true. So um, why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about uh, Nightmare Junkhead if they haven't heard it, which I, I highly recommend um, if you're listening to this because you um, know me from Attack a Killer podcast. Uh, you're obviously a horror fan um, or a movie fan in general. Well, I, honestly, it just it comes down to the fact that uh, Genius and I, we genuinely love anything that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So... We are, we strive to be, and this is going to sound very cheesy, but we just strive to be as positive as possible when we can. Yeah. And, and even when I have strong opinions, strong negative opinions, well, we still try to find a good spin on things. Well, we always, we will uh, show our work. Yes, absolutely. If we're going to be critical of things. Uh, but more than anything, yeah, we just genuinely love what we talk about and we've forged a friendship and it's a friendship that kind of came later in life. So yeah. podcast aside, it's, the podcast itself provided me with a friend, which by extension led me to like people like yourself, Tad, and wouldn't be possible without it. And we actually just put out one of our, our 300th episode recently mm-hmm. and kind of upon reflection, this kind of stuff right now wouldn't be possible. And it's fucking it, rad. It's I mean, nice. it turned from a stepbrothers moment. Like, did we just become best friends? Yup. To like, we're meeting all sorts of new people, meeting a lot of cool new people, doing all fun stuff. I mean, we can't wait to come and see that you guys at Halloween Palooza. We are fucking stoked. Yeah, it's. I, I saw that you just uh, released your 300th episode, so congratulations on that huge milestone. Um, but I had no idea you guys were like later in life friends. I guess I just assumed you guys have known each other forever. So what's the story behind that? Like, how did that happen? It was- Honest, okay, really funny story because we're very <laughs> we're very honest and open on our show because the entirety of the three hundred episodes, both of our lives have changed quite a bit drastically, and you know we're always usually honest about our stages in life, but our initial interaction came from a random interaction with my now ex but good friend Amy, who ran into Genius and had invited him to come to one of our movie nights mm-hmm. that I've been putting on at my house. And now, genius, be honest. I was, I was like, all right, right? I didn't know she was married. And I'm like, all right, cool. I'll go down and see a movie. I wasn't expecting, like, first, a, a, I wasn't expecting a crowd. 
exactly a basement full of people. But I'm always ready for a crowd. Oh, boy. Oh but boy. at the same Not time. Not kind of party. At this, <laughs> there were no pineapples in the party. <laughs> right, right, right. So anyway, so she's like, and this is my husband, Greg. And like, no lie, part of me was like, man, fuck. Right? But then, uh, <laughs> but then I was like, okay, you guys are showing Terminator so far. That's cool. Right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. We started talking about, like, I think it was like Nanea Quigley. Because I was the president of the horror, still am, the horror club. And you're like, oh, you like horror? And I'm like, I like horror. We started talking about horror. And it was literally like, did we just become best friends? Yup. And what's really funny is the fact that we are in that almost exact proximity recording right now where we were having that conversation mm -hmm. not too many years ago. And that's the funny thing is there was just this immediate kind of chemistry, if you will. And it just felt like a lifelong thing. And to be honest, when you get a little bit older, it is tougher to make new friends and to not only make new friends, but like I said, to extend upon it. Because I'm a hardcore, socially awkward introvert, which is appropriate because if anyone knows genius in real life, he's a little bit of an extrovert. Yeah, just a tad bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any time I see him, um, the arms are open, ready for a hug before I can even say hi. So, uh, you know, that, that that's why I sort of assumed you guys were like friends since ch childhood because you guys have that chemistry not just on the show but like when i run into you guys anywhere it's just like you know just that's what i just i i've sort of have this weird like i need to just do a whole show on like six degrees of jason bollinger because i feel like <laughs> i somehow just meet the nicest people through him but it's because he's a nice guy and it's like mm -hmm. you know i've and it's funny, like that that first weekend, I I went up to Panic Fest and met you guys. Like, you know, we were we were on your show, and um, you guys posted some pictures. And then it was like I had friends from both coasts that were like, "Oh, you know, it's genius. Oh, it's Greg. Like, I love those guys. Tell them I said hi." And I'm like, "This is my first time meeting him. How do you know them?" And it's like we all know this. We all know the same people at different sides of the country. And it's mm -hmm. like this this you know the horror community is so tight knit and and yeah. nice for some people who enjoy watching people die. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, go back to one of our first episodes. I think we actually addressed that. Uh, Genius, what do you refer to it as? Feeding the gator. You got to feed the gator. It's going to get you. Well, and also, I think a lot of it really comes down to the fact that I, I think because we're from the Midwest, we tend to be a little bit more laid back for the most part. Mm -hmm. The heartland is the Canada of America. <laughs> that's, that's a good, yeah, that makes sense. Wait. What what is our poutine then? I don't know what's all the boot, but I'm sorry about it. Well, we just have the <laughs> we just have the curds. We don't have like the fries and gravy. We, we just we're just happy with the that's I guess true. Or, <laughs> that's true ranch dressing. I guess like that's the other thing. Is is ranch big in Kansas City? It's huge here in Iowa. Like you, oh, it's, it's huge in Kansas City. Ranch I on mean, everything. It's it's too ranch much. Or, ranch or barbecue sauce. That's yeah. how you know you're in Kansas City. Yeah, no, I had some of like the the best food I've ever had when I was there, and uh, and and that's not even going to the fact that um, insane Mike nearly fought a teenager at Jimmy John's when we went to that uh, panic fest. But that's a whole different <laughs> that's a whole different story. That was wow. next time you see him when you see when you guys see him at Halloween Palooza, just ask him um, about that story. He'll 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 get riled up all over again. Hey, I'm going to Jimmy John's. Anybody want anything? <laughs> 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 I, I I figured out where his insane Mike name came from when uh, this this poor kid felt his wrath. I've never seen Mike upset until that moment. But um, oh boy, the the like uh, Doctor Jekyll came out and when he was doing that. But um, 
Yeah, it's just I, I was really sad I couldn't make it to uh, Kansas City Crypticon this year because I had so much fun when I went. I think it was in 2019 because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I don't think t- 2020 didn't happen. 2020 didn't happen. And, no. uh, but, you know, we were actually planning on it and it was just sort of like cl- too, too, a little too close to my event, the Snake Alley Festival film. And it was like, mm-hmm. I, I just can't. Um, I, I knew if I went, I wouldn't be enjoying myself because. I'm the kind of person that if I have responsibility sitting on my shoulders and unfinished mm-hmm. business, I can't enjoy things until I wrap that up. So um, I was like, I'm just going to stay home this year. Um, I'll see those guys at something. Are you guys doing the uh, Kansas City Horror Club doing the, the drive-in Oh, the event? drive-in. Yes, we are. October 2nd. We're showing uh, back-to-back. We're showing that Tom Savini's Night of the Living Dead and then Return of the Living Dead oh, with, with a horror-themed swap and shop right before. Ten dollars a car. Shameless plug. Independence, Missouri. Well, no, that's no, what this is for. Like, plug away. Let's, let's actually then the night before save your energy because we're kicking off Shocktober mm-hmm. with our seventh Nerdoween horror movie marathon. Three horror movies, all with a theme around in a movie theater, and it's a mystery. And you won't know until you come. And we have shown some doozies. Some Nerdoweens in the past have been rad. Like our first ones, we showed uh, Demons, Night of the Demons, and Demon Knight. So they're all kind of like connected in a way. One year we showed uh, Extro, um, Terror Vision, and From, From Beyond. Beyond. So like, yeah, we, <laughs> yeah, we like to go deep. So if you want to, you know, see five wonderful horror films to kick off the greatest month of the year, mm-hmm. you can look no further than Screenland and the Drive-In. Ooh, and then Carpenter Fest. Yes, I saw that too. The yeah, the Apocalypse trilogy. Oh, I'm so jealous. God damn it, I'm in the wrong city. <laughs> I mentioned that to somebody recently, and they're like. You could just move to Kansas City. It's not that far. And I'm like, man, if you knew how much shit I had in this house, like I never want to move again. I'm going to have to die here. I have so many toys and vinyl and DVDs. It's like there's no moving. Just burn me with the house when I'm dead. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to have any kids. So uh, some poor soul is going to have to take care of all this plastic. <laughs> <laughs> so so in this rare, rare occasion, um, we were going back and forth about which movie to watch, and we all three somehow came upon a what's almost like a cult classic horror movie, um, a big horror movie that none of us had somehow seen, um, and it's a sequel to a very, 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 maybe the biggest horror movie of all time, um, and we today we're going to talk about Psycho 2. Madam, please sit down. This matter is being represented by the district attorney. Norma was not convicted of murder. He was found not guilty by reason of insanity. Don't you realize they're going to release a homicidal maniac? I'm asking you to sit down, Mrs. Loomis. It's all too obvious. Our courts protect the criminals, not their victims. Norman Bates is judged, restored to sanity, and is ordered released forthwith. It's 22 years later, and Norman Bates is coming home. I own a motel not too far from here. And you'd be welcome to spend the night in one of the empty rooms if you'd like. Good night, Mary. And he's back in business. Who is this? My mother is dead. I'm telling you, there was a note on that wheel from my dead mother. 
Norman, it couldn't be your mother. It had to be someone else. But trust her. She would never do anything to hurt me. No. She'll kill you. I know she will. No, I... I won't do that. You can't make me... kill her. 22 years later, Norman Bates is Ho Psycho 2. It's starting again. Okay, so Psycho 2 was released June 3rd, 1983, 23 years after the original film. Um, they reiterated several times throughout that trailer, 22 years uh, past the date that he um, had the original killings. Um, written by Tom Holland, who's famous for Child's Play, Fright Night, and Class of 1984. Directed by Richard Franklin, who also directed Patrick and Road Games. Um, <laughs> music by Jerry Goldsmith, who's got the longest fucking resume next to... Uh, you know, any composer, uh, we got the Omen, Star Trek, the motion picture, Planet of the Apes, Poltergeist, Total Recall, Alien, Gremlins, The Burbs, the list goes on and on. Um, cinematography by Dean Cundy, who did Halloween, The Thing, um, almost all of John Carpenter's uh, early work, and, and also Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, Roadhouse, um, another guy who's just got a resume that fucking kills anybody's. Uh, starring Anthony Perkins returning as Norman Bates, Vera Miles returning as Lila Crane Loomis, uh, Meg Tilly, who you might recognize as Jennifer Tilly's sister, as Mary, um, Roger Robert Log- Logia as Dr. Bill Raymond, uh, Dennis Franz as Warren Toomey, the new uh, Bates Motel manager, Hugh Gillian as Sheriff John Hunt, and Claudia Breyer as Mrs. Emma Spool, um, who we will learn later plays an important role so this movie two decades after the original murders at the bates motel norman bates completes his treatment at a mental institution and returns home to find his hotel run down under the management of warren toomey despite a new friendship with a waitress and a job bussing tables at a diner norman begins to hear voices once again no matter how hard he tries norman cannot keep mother from returning and coaxing him to unleash the homicidal maniac within so Psycho 2. Somehow, none of us have seen this. I've heard about it for years that, you know, it's actually really good. I, I, I think in my head, I just build it up as like, there's no way a, a sequel that came out 23 years after the original granddaddy of all horror movies is, is, is worth a watch. Yeah, that's pretty fucking ballsy right out the gate. I mean, to like, because Psycho, love it, or, love it or not, it's a quintessential film i mean it's not just a horror movie it's a quintessential film it what made hitchcock hitchcock so and he's the master of suspense so whenever you're gonna provide a sequel so much into it especially in the 80s the era of decadence the era of like gratuity that's pretty fucking ballsy yeah i mean is there is there a reason that you guys haven't seen it to up to this point that's the best part of the entirety of your podcast and your mission <laughs> statement here is to finally plug in those holes. I don't know why I've never seen this. No. Now, I 
when I was watching it, it was a whole brand new experience, but I almost kind of cheated because I remember like a flash of remembrance of seeing the last 20 minutes of this movie on TV, like CBS way back in the day, but it was only the last 20 minutes. Cause I do vividly remember like watching something and walking in and seeing that boonk, at the very end. Uh-huh. And, but other than that, the rest of the movie, I had no recollection. So this was almost like a, this was a first watch for me. And I, I, really enjoyed it but it it almost seemed out of time you know like it didn't seem like an 80s movie at all no no it didn't have like gratuitous nudity it wasn't everything you just sort of said about 80s movies it sort of lacked all that but maybe for the best like it it had some restraint which i'm glad it did because psycho i mean as as much as it at the time in 1960 when it came out it was you know as radical as a movie can be It, it terrified people people were afraid to shower. Um, you know, (laughs) it's like in comparison, like, you know, I think in my mind, just thinking like they made sequels to this movie and the first one was in the eighties. Like this is, it has to be terrible. Right. And then I, I never, I've never seen a trailer. I've never seen anything outside of maybe the cover or the poster art. And then when I started watching it and the, and the credits were popping up, Tom Holland, Jerry Goldsmith, mm-hmm. Dean Cundy. I'm like, holy yeah. shit, what a, a dream team to get together. If you're going to do it, you know, you, you assembled the right people. The pedigree of this movie is ridiculous. And Tad, also like you, I went in blind. So when you read that lineup of everyone involved, it's I had multiple moments of going of just my smile getting bigger and brighter. Right. And going, OK, I'm it. Whatever happens I'm in good hands. Because then all of a sudden, like, Anthony Perkins, okay, and Meg Tilly, okay, and like, whoa, Robert Loggia, whoa, Dennis Franz, you know, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Well, we recently saw Dennis Franz uh, up on the big screen as part of our Friday Night Frights. Uh, with uh, We watched Brian De Palma's Blowout. I fucking love that, and that's that was a first-time watch for me maybe, like, a year ago. I watched it during I... quarantine, and it blew my fucking balls off, dude. It was well, a first-time watch for me. It was great. I wish it would have my first watch would have been in a theater, but um, you know, that was one that I had actually guilty as charged. Like I heard uh Quentin Tarantino like it's listening it all the time as as one of his like top five movies of all time. And I was like it was on Prime, I think, or on a streaming service, and I was like, I should check this out at like midnight one night. And I was like, I'm probably gonna fall asleep. And there was no way I was falling asleep during that. Holy shit, it gripped me from beginning to end. Uh Man, Brian De Palma, it, he just he, he he just fucking wrecked shop with that movie. So good. I kind of fell asleep for in like the fifteen minutes in the middle because it was an exhausting ass day in the cold theater. No, what's funny though is the fact that that's two Dennis Franz films, genius that have bestowed slumber upon you. Yeah, because I fell asleep. I had to watch this movie in two sittings, and it's not because it was boring, and it's not because it was a slog at all. But it was just I've like watched it late and i was exhausted so i pause it and i go to bed and i come back the next night and watch it again but this was an interesting because you think okay they're making a movie in the 80s fine it's going to be a lot of gratuity and for the most part we're saying there's no gratuity in this before a sequel to psycho compared the two this is gratuitous as shit especially for the kills but the interesting thing and i think like well why i remember like uh I fell asleep and I would wake up and I would watch it, but I'd just be still engaged. This was not 
a, this is a slow burn slasher film. This is almost like it's again, like I said, it's out of time. It's almost an A twenty four slasher film because if there was a lot of gaslighting and a lot of crying, it could have been mid psycho. So like. <laughs> so like <laughs> just the look on Greg's face. No, so like um no, it was super engaging for a psychological thriller. And like which is of course horror, but the kills, my goodness, those oh, are grand. Yeah. yeah, the knife through the mouth like actually made my wife like gasp. Like I and I don't remember the last time that I mean, she, she has she gets the the she does like the face turn and covers her eyes during like, the, I mean, like everyone does, like whether there's fingernails or teeth or like fingers breaking like the, or exposed bones or any of that stuff. But like that knife kill, like she was like, <gasps> like it, it took her by surprise. It really did. She's not alone because I watched this by myself, uh, except for Charlie was by me, my dog. And I also audibly gasped and. I think the great comparison or a nice analogy would be is like how Halloween two is to the original Halloween. I was literally going to say the same exact thing (laughs) because, you know, Halloween is a classy film. It establishes so much in, I mean, everything with the carpenter, uh, you know, his aesthetic and Halloween two tries to mimic it, but it becomes more of an eighties film. So that's why we have a little bit more, few more kills. uh, There's more nudity, there's more gore, even though it's not in excess like a lot of the stuff you'd see at the time. They still adapted a little, mm-hmm. right? It, it's I, I and not to go on a whole tangent about Halloween too, but I was always surprised to hear like Rick Rosenthal directed it in the same style as Carpenter at first, and Carpenter went back and watched a cut, and he was like, "This is the '80s, man. Like we need to add tits and blood and you know jump scares." And Rosenthal was like, "But that's not what Halloween's okay. about." And he's like, "But times have changed. Like we can't just you know do the same thing over again." And I was surprised to hear like. Carpenter was the one that went back and, 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 you know, he actually directed some of the extra scenes and, and extra kills. And it's like to think, you know, and of course, a few years later, we got the thing, which is like fucking most grotesque 80s horror movie in the bright lights, <laughs> like, you know, the, the craziest monsters and, and gross outs. But yeah, I mean, the difference and that one was only the difference between 78 and 81. It was just, you know, a few years, the the landscape of horror had changed so much that mm-hmm. Carpenter was like, in business mode he's like thinking in his mind you know not so much making art we're trying to make money here you know i like to think the idea of john carpenter wrote that amazing grace for for Halloween too. <laughs> for bud and, yeah yeah or now that literal jump scare where michael jumps out and yeah. attacks the babysitter mm-hmm. from behind yeah. a chair or whatever in her yes. living room yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's always a story that he didn't want to make a sequel and he got he'd had like a six pack of of Budweiser or something and and wrote it and he regrets making Lori the sister and stuff. But uh, I I still have a a very soft spot. I still love Halloween, too. To me, it's like Mm -hmm. um, a yin and a yang. Like I I love if I want to watch some ultra violence, I watch Halloween, too. If I want just sort of a a classic, uh, you know, slasher Halloween. And to me, they balance each other out so well. Well, we actually did a, a commentary for Halloween 2, and we kind of went on this big, big, long tangent of the Tramer family, and kind of the <laughs> lawsuit they have. Justice against... for Tramer, man. <laughs> <laughs> and how there's a very interesting like uh, side world you could go into of just how Michael Myers and Laurie Strode and uh, you know Dr. Loomis has affected the Tramer family. <laughs> yeah. Um... If you ever, I highly recommend um, with Gorley and Russ podcast is two um, 
Matt Gorley and Paul Russ, two oh, of the yeah. f- funniest humans alive. Um, they've done several horror franchises, but uh, he, they did the Halloween one, and they still um, reference Ben Tramer. They're like six seasons in now. They're doing um, shark movies, and he still gets mentioned almost every episode somehow. It's like, and, and, and I mean, he has, you, you know, Trick or Treat Studios has a Ben Tramer mask. Um, the NECA Halloween 2 action figure came with a Ben Tramer head. Like, it's... Aww. It's so cool. Like he's he still has that lore of you know we we can't forget Ben Tramer, man. What was because the Tramer was also the name of the kid that got eaten in Jaws. Was it? No, no, no. That's the no, 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 no. no. That's the Kittner kid. Kittner. That's Kittner. right. Kittner. Okay. Kittner. It's, Kittner. It's justice for uh, uh Pip. Pip. That's right. <laughs> the dog. No, but like <laughs> the seriously Ben Tramer. I've been sued six times. There's Loomis getting like litigation and shit. <laughs> No, he's as much complacent. We we came to the theory he's as complacent as Michael in the chaos that's going around Haddonfield. Oh yeah, he pretty much caused that whole accident, and then they stood by and watched him burn alive. <laughs> you don't know what death is. <laughs> Let me show you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like you guys mentioned earlier, you tend to um, point out the and try to find the good things in movies. And I didn't have too many complaints on this one. I. I, like I, I went in completely blind. Like I said um, before watching this, I really didn't have any expectations going in other than like I know there's just no way this can be as good as the original, and I'm and I'm not expecting it to be. I'm, I know it's going to be its own thing in the '80s, but I'm in my mind I just can't. And, and still now after watching it, I'm like, what sparked it in the '80s so long? You know, 22 years later, who was like? let's just make psycho too. It seems like the worst idea of all time. You know, it's like one of those things that you just don't touch. Like there's, I don't know. It just seems like something that you really don't go back and, and try because there's just no winning. And somehow I think this is a win. Well, it was originally slated to be a direct video film and it wasn't until they actually got Anthony Perkins attached that they go, okay, we're going to make this theatrical and we're going to add more money to the budget. So, it's just if you when you again when you look at how everything is pieced together, it could have just become this huge disaster. But no, I'll, I loved this movie. This was just a fantastic first time screening for me. This movie was great and it was smart. And the way that they handled it was smart because they could have been like, okay, Psycho Two, he's out and he's back for revenge, and, and just, just goes yeah, around and, exactly. and just turns into and turns into Jason. But they didn't. They played it almost. They played it real because if there's a psych, a known killer, like if they decided to let Ed Gain back into society, right? Of course, there's going to be an uproar, especially from the victim. So you have that aspect. And what the one thing that I like that they did in this one is, of course, they made him a very creepy dude and a sympathetic creep. Not really sympathetic in in the first one, but just creepy and like, okay, maybe he's. He's weird, but he's misunderstood, and they focus a lot of on the ancillary characters. But this one, this was Norman Bates' movie, and he is creepy in this one, but I felt so fucking bad from him from, like, jump. Because the first thing we do, we see him, like, you know, you surge your time, doctor says you're good, you know, and you're going to be free to society. That guy's a fucking monster! How exactly. I have a petition of 1,800 people saying we don't want his ass out here, you know, and, like, and, like, uh, will you please inform your client that he has paid his debt to society? So it's like this weird redemption arc with them. And like like I said, I felt so bad for Norman the whole entire movie. Well, it's because Anthony Perkins is really good in yeah. this role. Because he's creepy and awkward, but yet like sympathetic and like 
you feel for him. Well, you, uh, to me, maybe, and this is more personal, but it's like, you know, I sympathize with him, not in the way that I'm a, a murdering uh, psychopath, but it's like, I am like Greg, I'm a, I'm sort of an introvert and quiet and sometimes socially awkward. And I'm like, you know, I could, I just, I do feel for him in this situation. And, you know, like he, he has been evaluated. He had a mental illness. It's, you know, he was deemed uh, insane and he's paid his dues. He's, he's gone through it. And it, I was amazed by how like progressive this was because mm-hmm. it highlights a lot of stuff that was not talked about at the time with mental illness, like people gaslighting him and making him think that he's crazy again. And it's just, Oh my gosh. Like, you know, that's, that's stuff that we talk about more openly now, back then it was, you know, taboo to mention mental illness. And it's like, you know, I, I just, I, I do completely just sympathize with him the whole movie. And, and my wife and I were watching and it is such a slow burn that we were like, what if this whole movie is just, like him like going around and just being a nice guy and he's like it's like an hour and a half and it's like he he's not a bad guy anymore and he's fixed and he has a friend that lives with him like what if he doesn't kill anybody what if no one dies and it's just a happy and it's like a happy sequel like you know what what wonder what happens in norman bates after that well he's he's fixed and he got a job at a diner and he, he cleaned up the old house and lived a normal life and it was quiet and nothing else happened it's like the end <laughs> exactly <laughs> i was like at some point something's got to go bad and then you know, when uh, his co-worker, uh, M- Mary, when she was like, you know, I need to stay. I'm like, OK, this is where shit's going to start hitting the fan. But they, they are very good at teasing you where it's like they, they give you a moment where you think, OK, this is where he's going to snap. And he he gets through it. And it's like over and over again, they sort of build it up. And it's like eventually he's going to snap. You know, when when the um, Warren Toomey comes into his work and he's, you know, cussing at him and, and he sees a note and that's sort of the first moment he, he has a little bit of a snap, but he still mm-hmm. controls himself. Mm-hmm. He still pulls back and it's like you're rooting for him the whole time. Don't do it. Don't do it. But, you know, something's got to give. Yeah, well, there's dad. By any chance, have you seen the film? Uh, Let's scare Jessica to death. I have not put make sure it's on your list okay make sure you get someone to do an episode with you with it. It's 70s A24 horror. Okay. But it's really good. But it would play well, I think, with this movie because there are a lot of shared themes Mm -hmm. with that whole aspect of trying to convince someone that has a past of mental health issues into convincing them that they're crazy. Yeah. And all the bad stuff that can come from it. And I got strong vibes of it watching Psycho 2. But again, based on his performance, I felt bad for him because... Is he a reliable narrator? You know, is literally are what we're hearing because as we see in the original, which it's been a spell since I've seen the original and it's been about ten years for me. Has it? Yeah. I it's Tad, since you saw it recently, how does this play into each other? Well, I, I was sort of going to mention that because I find it interesting that they open this movie with the most memorable scene that everybody remembers. Yeah, I wrote that was my first note previously on Psycho. Right. right? I mean, so... it, like you talked about earlier about like the balls to make this movie and even bigger balls to to kick it off with like the one scene. I mean, you're really not separating yourself, but I love that they start with that and sort of fade from black and white into color, you know, with the, the vacancy sign. I thought that was a really cool transition, but you know, it's, it's not necessarily Halloween, Halloween two um, in a way, because this is, but I guess it sort of is because even psycho um, is more restrained. Mm-hmm. T- 
than how than Carpenter's Halloween, and this is, but this is not quite as violent. So I think there there is a nice like pairing. I think you know that getting this team, this like star team together mm. with Dean Cundy and Jerry Goldsmith, mm. like they they could have, and I'll get into it a little bit in a trivia, but they actually offered to let him use the original sound cues and themes and stuff. And uh, Richard Franklin was like, no, I want to make this its own thing. Like I want Jerry Goldsmith to come on and do an original score. I want it to sort of, you know, obviously it's going to, people are going to compare the two, but I want it to be its own movie. Like, I don't want it to just be another like ripoff of, of psycho. Cause we have a million mm-hmm. of those. Um, and, and I just, I feel like it's, you know, they, took on this impossible task and um, they did as good as you could possibly expect, even better, you know? Well, quick question about Jerry Goldsmith. Um, I'm going to pose this to both of you. Who has a better ponytail? Jerry Goldsmith <laughs> or Rick, Rick Baker? Baker. Rick... Oh, I'd say Rick, Rick Baker. Baker. Okay. Rick okay. Baker. Because it's, it's pretty spectacular for the most part. I don't know if that's where his true inspiration comes from <laughs> he can't cut it off or he would not uh, be the Maybe genius that he is he keeps time with it <laughs> just swings it back and forth well no that's the thing it is entirely its own score it's an entirely its own film mm-hmm. but everyone involved i think loves and respects the original film so much that they took a lot of craft and care with how this film was put together absolutely the story has this has uh, this movie has a story to tell and it's norman's story and they're treating him with like like a, the love of the monsters because <laughs> some of the best movies as for not to everything the monsters point of view but you feel for the monsters and you can understand what they're going through and in this case we know what monster he is we know that he's not well and we know that he's trying and that's what makes it more sympathetic and sad to know that there's all these other forces that are eventually going to push him to his breaking point, you know? I mean, like you said earlier, he had that horse shack moment in the uh, diner. He was like, ooh, I got a note from my mother, right? And so that was <laughs> one of them. And when it just got more and more and more and more, I, I was putting two and two together because I was like, it's that old lady. It's that mean old lady. I because, But I, I was blindsided when I found out that uh, Meg Tilly was the daughter. And I was like, my heart broke, and my heart broke for Norman. And well, I was like, yeah. either this is going to push him over the edge or this is just going to crush him. Well, the fact that Meg Tilly plays such a cool, complex character that mm-hmm. you actually do kind of care Feel for, for her, her too, and the journey she goes through. And I recently saw uh, last year for the first time uh, The Big Chill, which does feature Meg Tilly in it. And she's really good in it. She's a very probably underrated actor. I saw Agnes of God in the theater. Shut up. You did not. <laughs> was that one with your, with your mom? Of course. I was bored to tears. <laughs> I was just like, all right, I'm out. <sighs> right? Because, like, I'm six. Why do I want to <laughs> see a movie about a pregnant nun? Now, 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 I'm like, oh, hey, hey. Let me put that on a double feature with, like, Miss 45 or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just the whole killer, the nun I, thing. Yeah, so I know. That's just stop. I, I I don't know if I even knew Meg Tilly existed until I watched this. I'm like, she looks familiar. Then I saw Tilly, and I'm like, is it Jennifer? And I feel almost bad that I, I like when I was reading off the cast, I'm like, sister of Jennifer, because she's probably lived that life as just you know, oh, I'm sisters with Jennifer Tilly, who's 
you know, infamously famous for, for several things. But, um, I was reading when I was reading a little bit about this, I realized that she had like a very lustrous career for a short window. Like she was in a lot of things in a compact, like a, a little, like a short span of years where she was the it girl. And what's incredible though, is the fact that she and Jennifer both have that particular look and they both have that particular delivery, mm-hmm. but just, I think I, for the most part, Meg just kind of bowed out, and obviously Jennifer kind of has embraced genre, and you know because of her. And I think we're all the better for it. <laughs> I'm a Tilly fan. Me too. And I was a Tilly fan in this. I was a, a Meg oh, Tilly fan. Like uh, she's great in this. Yeah, I was. You know, it, once again, sort of harkening back to like this not feeling like an '80s movie. I was sort of like. She, you know, they avoided the like, even the look of it. Like, there's not a whole lot of mm-hmm. people with. There's no one like mall bangs and bad like hairspray haircuts and and fluorescence and stuff. Like, and I love I love a good you know uh, a good '80s horror with that kind of stuff. You know, I love watching the Friday Thirteenth movies where guy shorts are so short you can see their butt cheeks or you know sleepaway <laughs> camp. I love that kind of stuff, but this movie doesn't feel like an '80s movie. Like, it still stands up. Like, it's not timed. You know. Well, and I think because, no, I think it's because it still is on the heels of the 70s that it does feel more like a 70s character piece. But the interesting thing about that is it didn't even look 70s or 80s. It looked like you could be, it could be shown today and be made today and look just like it. Well, it's because it's Dean Cundy. That's true. That's true. He is such a secret weapon of like every film that you forget he shot. You guys remember he's responsible for nothing but trouble. <laughs> you hate that movie. You I don't despise hate the that film, movie. but it, I just get I respond badly to it. <laughs> Almost physical. He, but he's done some some real duds and like after you know <laughs> I I feel bad for him because it got to like a high of highs when he did like Jurassic Park and then like two years later he's doing like Baby Geniuses or something well, like you know he likes to work yeah. and, and that's that's great but it just sort of like. I I wonder about, you know, it's it's weird to like look at someone's it's it's jarring when you're looking at their IMDb and it's like hit 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 and then it's like high school musical the series like how the fuck did Dean who called Dean Cundy like have you guys seen John Carpenter's Halloween or the Thing like those are gorgeous we got to get him for high school musical. Well, hey, you know, if they parked up enough money. Oh, I absolutely, but I just I always wonder the path of how they get to him. Like obviously he's he's, you know, reliable and and delivers every time, but mm-hmm. I just do you do you imagine I does he just not charge enough for something? You know, it's like where are well, they it, coming up with his name on the list? Well, and it's really funny because his name will really only appeal to a certain subset of people mm-hmm. because i think for a lot of normies you say dean cundy they're gonna like is, is that, that from starbucks yeah <laughs> but again if you're you know if you like certain cinematography and you're that's a big thing you're into he is the that, man yeah but if you're looking at like the imdb and the filmography can we really quickly touch upon the work of richard franklin <laughs> patrick yeah okay have you, Tad, have you ever seen Patrick? I have, yeah, for okay. Attack of the Killer podcast we watched. Fucking tele- telepathic sad handies. Like... <laughs> <laughs> now, we actually we covered that as part of Into the Mouth of March Madness, which is this yearly um, little tournament thing that we put on, which you guys have actually been part of uh, yep. before in the past. And <laughs> the best part <laughs> of that whole thing is watching the films for the first time. And Genius and I, that was a first-timer, 
and it was forever left a mark. And yeah. it was just it's... telepathic sad handies. That's all that's <laughs> but but he's also responsible because he was very much a Hitchcock protege. He actually did work under him. Uh he's responsible for road games. Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, yeah. Yes. And that's and I've seen that. Same. Uh he's now here's here's where it gets great. He's responsible for Link. I fucking like that movie. I saw that in the theater about the pyrokinetic mon- no, about the 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 pyro uh pyromaniac monkey. Here's the thing. There are multiple maniac monkey films right, in that era. Cuz there was Link and then there was Monkey Shines. It was yes. like a Dante's Peak and, uh volcano creepers, thing going on. Creepers. Yeah, Creepers with Phenomena. Yeah. But but he's also responsible for FX2, The Deadly Art of Illusion with the Bryans. And and the coup de gras, Cloak and Dagger. <laughs> I have not seen that forever. A little it's, Dabney Coleman. Yes, it has been 30 plus years since I've seen the film. But a lot of those are some of my favorite films from my youth. But a lot of them I have not experienced in 30 plus years. So he's got a really cool little body of work for a guy that's, for the most part, started as kind of an Osploitation director. He also directed the Beastmaster series. Yeah, he, oh, he's got a crazy list of uh, TV films that he worked on. Or TV films. Ooh, like, and Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman. Yes, again, it's ridiculous, the, the pedigree of this movie. And again, that's why I think it works. But going back to the pedigree of the movie and going back to Meg Tilly when we were talking earlier about the sympathetic monster, she too is a sympathetic monster because mm-hmm. what she's doing to Norman is fucked up and monstrous, but then at the same time she has that crisis of conscience and you genuinely see that she cares for Norman. Because they're both damaged. And she's trying, yeah, trying to stop her mom, who in reality is the fucking crazy one. Like, yeah. Like, she's so obsessed with putting this guy away who she thinks is bad. It's like, you're the fucking bad one. You're, if you she's have to killer. go, yeah, if you have to go to this length to try to put this guy away, like, you know, even if you, even before we find out, you know, how bad things are, like, you know, it's just, she's the ultimate Karen, like, you know, just a total. <laughs> total bitch before we even find out that she's what she's doing behind his back you know well it's what's really cool with this movie is they subvert a lot of the stuff that we come to expect i think at that time with 80s horror and slashers um we really do have a lower body count there is nudity involved but it's not as it's not really gratuitous mm-hmm. um there's minimal gore but when those kills hit oh do they hit but I just think there's just kind of this, this magical combination that makes it work the way it does. Yeah. And even like when everything's going nuts, when uh, Norman's trying to talk to Mary and like, but mother's, it's not my real mother. And she's just stabbing him and he's like almost unaffected by it. Oh, that's just those whole like moments were like, fuck. I mean, just the direction and the tension of it. Yeah. This one was. Way surpassed what, what I thought it was going to be. And also, it should be noted, uh, when Percy Rodriguez narrates your trailer... Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah, I just... Uh, I, I ended up buying, like, a set of, um, I think, the first through the fourth movies on on Amazon when it was, like, ten bucks or something. Oh, okay. Just thinking, you know, I've never... I've somehow never seen these. It's ten bucks. Um, I already own several copies of the original, but I need to see these sequels because you know, other horror fans have been like, oh, the, you know, the, the Psycho sequels are pretty good. And I just did not, my mind could not absorb that. I'm like, there's no possible way they're even watchable because 
one, I've never seen them, and two, their sequels to Psycho. Like, it, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's Psycho. Like, even like even if you don't love it, you have to respect what it did for film in general. And I, well, I it's just cool, like that this long. Like, is there any other gap between a first and second movie that's this long and it comes back successfully with with right. the original star? I mean, obviously yeah. now we're in this weird um, time period where you know, David Gordon Green brings back Jamie Lee Curtis and, you know, we're, we're retconning all the sequels, even the ones she's been in. And now he's doing the same with the exorcist and everything old is new again. But, you know, back then that was not as, it, back in the eighties. It was like, you know, we're getting a Friday 13th movie every year. We're getting a nightmare on Elm yeah. street movie every year. We have to pump them out to get him on the screen. And, you know, I, I was almost afraid, like, I guess in my expectations of knowing that's how the studio system worked, I'm like, you know, someone saw these movies making boatloads of money, these horror movies that didn't cost anything. And they're like, what's Anthony Perkins up to? Let's see if he'd be (laughs) willing to come back. And I'm not familiar enough with his career to know at like what point his career was at when in the eighties, like after doing Norman Bates, I am at, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, Oh, it probably, you know, the, the jobs dried up because it's hard to disassociate him. Like he, Mm-hmm. everybody knew him as Norman Bates. So how do you put him as a lead in something else? I think he, like a lot of actors that get their start in genre do have those issues of, you know, being tight Pigeonholed and yeah. And then having maybe a little bit of time where they can reconcile and kind of embrace it. And I think he was at that point where he could embrace the role. And the fact that he is back, mm-hmm. that tells you a lot. Well, but then also like, as seasoned horror fans, going back to why you probably haven't seen it, why none of us have seen yeah. it, as seasoned horror fans, it's already an uphill battle. One, how many times have we been burned by sequels? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And then especially in the 80s when they just keep cranking them out and cranking them out and cranking them out. And then also, how can you make a sequel to the classic Psycho? So it's only, like you said, like, ah, it's no good because it's Psycho. But I guess it's going almost to the 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 director and with goldsmith mm-hmm. it's its own thing mm-hmm. you know it's just taking the characters and moving on and i think that's the benefit of having the time span because there's enough years to like disassociate and tell its own story because if they would have made his sequel to psycho five years it wouldn't have made sense because five years is not enough to do your time this is almost real time mm-hmm. like 22 years is enough for like a couple of murder sentences on on because of uh, insanity. Oh, even based on our little calculus, at that point you could have had a remake too. Yeah, but they chose to just go ahead and continue with it, which I think was the smartest thing they could do. Mm-hmm. Um, because hopefully you bring in that original audience that are at least curious enough to see what's going on, and then of course just the regular horror people that are going, oh, Psycho too cool. Yeah, but also the fact that it's a smart story, it makes sense. I mean, like. It's not fantastical, and I mean, of course, it does. Dead mothers telling people to kill people, of course, doesn't really make sense to a lot of people. But you know, Norman Bates in a lot of people, so like, <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that technically was originally based on a number of serial killers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of like the Ed Gein thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, to show his plight and what he's going through and how he's the victim now, you know, because Norman Bates doesn't for being psycho and being the guy that they released from the the from paint from killing all those people he doesn't have a high body count in this movie this is it's not him really doing all the killing which is like kind of refreshing to see it's like if we saw michael myers being framed 
Mm-hmm. Well, again, that probably wouldn't work in any other franchise, but with this one, you've got some ground to explore. Because he's human still. Yeah. He's sympathetic still, you know? Again, that's that subversion I really, really like. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they do a good job in this and, and make it believable. I, and I won't spoil this, but have you guys seen Don't Breathe 2? Not yet. No, not yet, but I know enough that... And I haven't watched the trailers, but I did hear trailer reaction about how they've reframed him as a, you know, an anti-hero. Yeah, and that's what I'm sort of getting at is like, you know, um, I think Anthony Perkins and Norman Bates in general is a it's it does. It, you, what I'm trying to say is you can't make it work. It You have to do it right to make it work because they try to make him like a sympathetic anti-hero in the sequel and I, I i my mind can't get past the fact that he's like a creepy kidnapping rapist like i don't care what don't he know. does there's no going back on that you know but for some reason my mind anthony perkins is so sympathetic and mm-hmm. he plays this role so well and it's well written that i'm like and, and enough time has passed you know um mm-hmm. maybe that helps too because you know i don't breathe was like right in my you know <laughs> in my still fresh in my mind but i'm also sort of curious about you know, that long of time passing, so much changed between 1960 and 1983 that it seems like even longer than 20 years. Like, you know, to think the original is black and white and, you know, they couldn't show any stabbing and they had, you know, it, people were f- passing out because they, you know, thought yep. they were seeing Janet Lee getting stabbed in the shower and that movie broke so much ground. And, and here we got Robert Loja falling into knives and <laughs> exactly. knives going through people's throats yeah, and, and like and Dennis Franz's face getting sliced. Right. And it's like, it feels like that could be, you know, 50 years have passed. And I remember sort of finding out that many years ago that Psycho 2 was was made in the 80s. And I'm like, how is Anthony Perkins, you know, still alive? Because I'm thinking Psycho had to been like, you know, 1950 or something. And then I'm like, oh, only 20 years have passed. If he was in like his late 20s, he'd only be in like his 40s. It makes sense that he could it come back. It makes sense. Yeah. Yep. But it's like in my mind, I just think of Psycho as such an old, 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 old movie because it's, you know, black and white and and one of the originals. But it's not like it's a universal monster picture or something. You know, it's like it's weird for my mind to think that that the the gap between like Frankenstein and Psycho is just as much as Psycho and Psycho 2, you know, that's true. I mean, theoretically, it is a universal horror monster movie, but (laughs) yeah, yeah. Well, no, but no, I know what you're saying. Help that, that. Have you ever been to the the Psycho House? Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to go. Have you? Um, no. The for, unfortunately, they tore it down in Florida before we started going. Like we go every year for Halloween Horror Nights, and it's not on the back lot anymore. But it's, I believe, it's still there in in uh, Los Angeles at Hollywood's uh, Universal Studios. I think they still have it in their back lot. Well, and I'd forgotten just how iconic that houses mm-hmm. and the way Cundy shoots normal a number of shots when the old lady was going up yes. the stairs or when norman yes, was like right out. there on yes. the side with the, oh, the darkness so of the good. night and the moon yes. it was beautiful that was the side of a van right there that's a print <laughs> that's what that is that's the one thing Cundy is good no matter what he can be in the high class art or low class schlock there's going to be one or two beautiful shots in the Cundy film yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, you know, so many iconic scenes that we think about, people don't even, it's it's weird because like in our world, in the film circle, it's like, oh, cinematographer is just as important as a writer or a director, but like 
the normal movie going audience what what the fuck is a cinematographer you know the, the director is the guy who does everything and it's right like, he points the camera and he rolls it and he right. wears those big puffy pants and the little beret and like <laughs> he, he yells cut 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 but that shot that bunk shot well, for, that was wonderful that top-down shot of the girl running out of the house uh, there were just mm, so yes. many just wonderfully breathtakingly beautiful cool but crane shots of several nope, no pun cool intended all right uh, marion crane uh, <laughs> my apologies so, no we've made it we've made it in an hour so i don't think um you know we have to beat around the bush as far as what happens in this movie um if you've made it an hour in and you've uh, not seen this um here's your fair warning you can hit pause we're gonna spoil things but the twist at the end, I was a little bit uh, not like mad about it, but it was sort of like it felt a little tacked on. I like the scene. I like how, you know, Norman uh, bonks Emma Spool on, on top of the head. But I was sort of like this feels a little like anticlimactic because we had such the big ending with the scene you mentioned about her stabbing his hands and it was so tense. And then she comes knocking on the door. I'm like, what is this ending? Like it felt more like maybe something now modern that they would put like after the credits or something. Let me ask you genius. Since we didn't watch this at the same time, did you giggle or laugh when he hit her? Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Cause I heard the bunk <laughs> like that. And I just, I, I busted up laughing. <laughs> there was a couple of times when I was laughing. I mean, honestly, I can't watch a serious movie. The more serious a movie is the more humor I find in it. So like yeah, well, I wrote the like the horse shack because it's like I gotta know for my mother, and I go. <laughs> well, the fact though that they don't cut away from him hitting the her. bonk, yeah. Oh, it's, like, it's yeah, it, you can sort of feel it. Yeah, there's definitely weight to it. So here's my question: How many people did each old lady kill? Yeah, I was a little confused on that too. Like who? Because we who know was responsible for what for for who? Yeah, we know somebody killed somebody. But I know, so between, like, there was, like, maybe four or five kills, like, Norman only killed one person, and that was at the bunk. But then out of the others two, they had to have killed somebody, each one of those old ladies. Well, I think more like like this film, it's left a little bit ambiguous. And better for it. And the fact that, do we truly know that this woman is his mother? Well, and then, or is it part of the gaslighting? Exactly. See, I, exactly. But also, that's one thing. And so, you know, you felt that the ending was a little bit rough. I loved that ending because, like, the fact that, oh, I'm your real mother. That one, I was like, okay, whatever. But I understand why. Because it brought him full circle. Now he has an actual dead mother upstairs in the attic to, like, like let rot for another 20, 30 years. So it was almost, as a matter how hard he tried to go against himself, this he was already broken at that point by the machinations of those of the Loomis girls, and so uh, <laughs> we gaslit him six times. So like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> you don't know what psycho is. So, <laughs> no, Mary, get your ass away from that house, Mary. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so like, it finally broke. <laughs> It barely broke him. And it's tragic because he tried so, so hard. hard and you're rooting for him the whole time. And it's almost bittersweet because, like, yeah, it's a bummer that he went back and reverted to his old killer ways. And that sucks. But 
killer norman bass is back so like it's kind of like the, the 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 adult in me found the like the psychological like sadness but the kid in me loves the violence and the fact that norman is gonna go kill more people psycho can't be shredded mini wheats my friend that's just <laughs> real psycho too i should say that's a that's a that's a rough swallow <laughs> No, I, I, I had conflicting feelings at the end, too, because I'm, you know, I, I sort of felt like, you know, yes, Norman's back, but also how deserving was she? You know, it's like, yeah, it's almost like a Dexter moment where he's taking out the killer. So it's not really necessarily. I mean, it's hard to justify a murder in any situation, less it's self-defense. But in a way, like, you know, it is self-defense because she was fucking with him the whole time and calling him and I'm your real mother. And, you know, my sister was, you know, the one who raised you. And it's like all these people suck. Like, you know, I'm just it's so tough to watch because, you know, he norm he plays Norman so well that I just the whole time I'm just sad because he's getting gaslit. And it's like man like I, this poor fucking guy he's paid his debt and this is what's wrong you know is that people are just trying to fuck with him and it's it's just a sad sad thing i think it's also a nice little statement on rehabilitation that works mm-hmm. and that he's gone through a system and a program and even if your doctor is robert loja robert loja dr loja phd it's so nice to see him play a good guy role yeah. right yeah a caring role as opposed to like a villain or someone who's trying to like destroy the rec center or some shit like that you know yeah when he pops up it's like uh some of the only scenes where it's like it's joy because you sort of feel like he's he's obviously on norman's uh side he's there he's full team norman yeah and he's sort of like when norm when he's around norman's happy and it's like you feel almost like that's the only safe the only time norman's safe is when he's around it's sort of like a a little bit of a palate cleanser when he comes around. It's like, everything's okay. And you know, when they're investigating him, I'm like, well, he's got his back. He's, you know, he's going to make sure he's making sure that Norman's on the, on the straight and narrow. And, you know, eventually he figures out and that was his, his down, you know, his um, undoing is when he tries to play detective. It's like, he, he's Mm -hmm. figured it out, but he didn't go to authorities. He tried to solve it himself by following her into the, the basement and he ended up paying dearly for it. It's like, you know, you're not a, you're not a cop. You're a doctor. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And it, we've seen so many horror movies. We know what's going to happen to him. But it's just it's a bummer, too, because I was rooting for him, too. Only one person can be a doctor detective, and that is Tom Atkins in Halloween 3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Dr. Dan. But um, no, because he's like. I gotcha. Robert Loja's gotcha. Right? Mm-hmm. And then she, Tilly's like, ah, get away, step, step, step. And then he falls onto oh. the knife. That was great. I was like, ooh. Yeah, another one that got like an audible noise out of the wife when she was watching, like, oh, fuck. You know, I think that's something like what she said um, when he landed on the railing. Because you can you just feel it in your own, like, ribs. Like, ugh. So maybe it was like a clue thing. Maybe like, you know how in the movie Clue, everybody killed a couple of people, one or two people. I think that's what happened. I think like, so the uh, old lady Loomis came and she killed the teenager, right? With a candlestick. Right? In the basement, right? <laughs> but the real mom, quote unquote, killed old lady Loomis. Now, I think old lady Loomis also killed Dennis Franz. Right. What about the canoodling teen? That was that was um no that was the teen in the basement. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. teen in the basement. The, okay. the canoodling teen was killed okay. by uh, old lady Loomis. Real mom killed old lady Loomis. It's like what rock beats 
like a Pepe Silva chart. Yes, yes. You mean he like <laughs> Can I offer you a psycho in these trying times? But no. It was almost like who killed who. Yeah. But it, except at the very end. I mean, the, the one person we know who got killed by the person was the bonk. Right. That's the only one that is clear as day. Yeah. Well, and what's fun is the whodunit kind of uh, nature of the film. And we talk about before how occasionally you can get this like Americanized Jallo where it's not quite Jallo, but there are some American, there's American flavoring. Jello. Yeah. <laughs> and this one, in lieu of like black gloves, you got like the, the old dress. lady wig and yeah. dress. You yeah. got like lace gloves instead of black, and you got like granny boots and shit. But okay, so hold on. How many? I don't know what the demographic of your listeners is. I we and we don't even know what our demographic is, but we're probably of the same age of our listeners. How many people younger than us would know what the fuck a rotary phone is and what the hell Norman was doing? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Because oh, yeah. like. That's the only one thing where I talked about, oh, it looked like it could be said any time today, except for the fucking rotary phone. Because yeah. that was an antiquated-ass old phone. Every time I picked up and was like, hello, mother, I was waiting for operator here or something like that, you know? Uh-huh. Bates 555 Motel, you know? But I like the fact that, of course, if you're going to put a hotel in charge with Dennis Franz in the head of it, of course it's going to turn into one of those pay-by-the-hour no-tell motels. Oh, yeah. Because, like, <laughs> that's Just look at him. He's, yeah. he's Dennis Franz. I mean, it's going to get slimy. He's got that, yeah, he's got that Ron Jeremy look to him. I oh. bet he put new peepholes in the, uh, the showers and everything. He's just so, he plays sleazy so well, and especially in the, like in Blowout, mm-hmm. he plays yeah. basically the same character. He, he's almost like Mike Spinell's stunt double. <laughs> Oh God! He's so yeah. he's so he's so hateable, and that's that's yeah. his his acting chops. Like, and he's... he likes showing his ass. <laughs> well, and the, you know that's actually of the the nudity we get. It wasn't from Dennis Franz, which, which is, is strangely good. enough <laughs> doesn't have the Donald Sutherland clause in his contract, or the Kevin Bacon clause, or the no, Jean, it... Jean Claude Van Damme clause. I mm-hmm. I love the multiple iterations of that. <laughs> Somehow or another, Derriere will work its way into the film. I'm showing a body part somewhere. But actually, to touch upon, because again, it came out in the 80s, um, a lot of implied nudity in the original film. Here we do get nudity, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was gratuitous, but it was there. So was it more just like of a checkoff point? It felt to me like um, more of a vulnerability thing, like, oh. and and maybe they could have done it with more implied nudity, but um, you know the whole thing about the shower is like that's your one safe space. When you're naked, you feel most vulnerable, and that's why the original was so shocking. So you sort of had to provide that again with, and and that was not just in that scene, but several scenes where there's holes in the wall and people are looking through, where someone's always watching. It's sort of that vulnerability that you're never really alone. It was off nerving and like also like I think because of it was gratuitous, it almost puts you in like the creep cam, the mm-hmm. point of view. Mm-hmm. Well, because you you had, you really care for the character at that point and you're just like you feel like a leering, just like, ew. That's or right. maybe that's maybe because I'm older, because if I would have seen this as a younger kid, that would have been the thing that would have probably again unfortunately brought you back like all right. Like, like porkies, yeah. Yeah. I would have been bored to tears if I would have watched this as a kid. I'm glad it took me this long to see it as an adult. Me too. So you this can appreciate another, it, yeah. Yeah, this is another one of those films that I think I'm fortunate for not experiencing because a number of them just work so much better having gone through 
life and experiences. So mm-hmm. I, again, I don't want to say we can all identify with... Um, with Norman. But, <laughs> but, but at the same time, like, when he was like, don't lie to me, not you. When he had that look, yeah. that was fucking scary. Yeah. Like, if I saw Norman Bates running around on the street, I wouldn't be terrified. But at that moment, yeah. But until he goes all Thurman Merman, when he's like, you want to make you some sandwiches? I'll make you some sandwiches. It's a good sandwich. Sandwiches was brought up like three or four times in this movie. And I, and I wrote down Thurman Merman. He says, uh, the way he says cutlery. I will never say cutlery any different now. Because it's just so long and drawn out. Like, I needed to pick up that cutlery. It was, it was, it's hilarious. And it's out of nowhere. And that's the little things that make this movie so memor- so much more memorable it's those tiny little moments that stick out but again the more serious the film is the more you can't watch it with me because like when the noisy nosy bellhop was like looking at the the thing and he's looking over i was waiting for paging mr bates mr bates you have a phone call at the front desk and so like i can't, can't help it <laughs> not like it took me out of the movie but i was just waiting for that bellhop that were like the clumsy bellhop or something yeah and then when he shows back up in the police department yeah i heard the whole thing about him. like see he's the clumsy bellhop watch he's gonna like wind up like falling down the stairs on a knife or something and a face full of lemon moraine that actually works as acid full of no it's full of poison (laughs) now have you guys seen i mean i I, we've probably all seen the remake right with uh vince (laughs) vaughn Mm -hmm. oh yeah saw the theater we won't go down that path because i mean i think everybody sort of has a, a certain feeling about that one but um have you guys seen the series bates motel i think it was like a and e I haven't watched that. Um, I'm familiar enough with it to know kind of who was involved with it, mm-hmm. and a lot of people I know actually dug it. I fucking loved it. I will say, like, I'll, I'll be a stand for that. Like, I, I watched it. Expect I went into it expecting it. Like, I'm gonna go in and give it this one episode a chance. I, I'm not a ser- I'm actually not very much a series guy. I like Twin Peaks, Seinfeld. I, there's like a handful of shows I've I've watched from start to end. I am notoriously hard to get on board for shows because I'm like, I could watch, you know, 10 movies in a time I can watch a series. So why would I watch a series? <laughs> I was hooked on that. And, um, I think it's Emily cook that plays his, his friend and, uh, Vera Farmiga that plays mm-hmm. his mom. Like it totally, totally surpassed my expectations. And I highly recommend anybody who's a fan of this, uh, franchise. It, it has so much respect, but it also puts it in modern times. It's really, really good. And I think it's now on like maybe Peacock or Paramount. One of the two, it has it streaming. Peacock's got all the psychos. It's got, yeah, I think it's... it must be yeah, on, on Peacock. Well, question then, uh, how many of you continued and have seen Psycho 3? I own it, but that's, uh, you know, I haven't, nope. I, I'm fresh off Psycho 2 from just two nights ago, so I haven't had time, but it's, I, I don't know, it's it's one of those things where I'm still, in my mind, I'm like, it it can't possibly hold, like, it can't stand up to this one, right? Like, they, they've made one good sequel, it has to go down at some point, right? I mean, Jaws 3 is, you know, fucking awful, like, I don't know. It's how many, weird. How many part threes are good? Well, I mean, it's Halloween three. But... Halloween three. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, it's where did where did do the diminishing returns kick in? But I will say this with um, the actual um, third part. I haven't seen it since I saw it on USA, and I don't know if it was like a up all up all night. Was it an up all night or a up movie of the night, night. or a, or a Cap- or Commander Captain USA? Commander USA. But I remember distinctly the blonde nun. 
there is a ice scene involving blood that grossed me out, and there is an epic Jeff Fahey scene where he is nude except for a light covering him <laughs> a la Austin Powers. So it's more 80s than this one. And also the reason Anthony Perkins came back is he was allowed to direct the film. Oh, oh. shit. Now, mm. now my interest is peaked. I mean, I own it, so I'm eventually going to watch it. And to be completely clear, like... On Attack of the Killer podcast, we do these unwrapping episodes where everybody has to pull a uh, movie off the shelf that's in the plastic wrap still that we've sat on too long is collecting dust. And this was uh, Psycho 2 was almost my pick. Spoiler. I mean, this is this won't be out until that episode's already out. You guys will not believe what my pick was. Nightmare Beach, which you guys just did. Ha! Small world. But I that was sitting on my shelf and. Um, Brian Clark and Insane Mike both lost their fucking minds when they they watched it. They're like, "This is a tad pig, holy shit!" Like, they're like a proud father moment. They feel like I'm like their little boy that that has graduated <laughs> to these weird ass movies. They're like, "Look what we've done to him." He picked Nightmare Beach off of his shelf, um, but Psycho Two was almost one. And when um, I reach out to you guys, and I, I really really wanted to watch this one still, so I was stoked when you guys said you hadn't seen it. So um, I'm actually I'm on like a great streak of getting some of these movies on my shelf that I haven't watched. And, and I'm, and I'm glad I own them. Like I hate when I blind buy something and it sucks. And I'm like, man, now mm-hmm. I'm, now I'm stuck with this disc, man. I'm, I'm stoked. Like this will be a rewatch. I'll watch this again. Well, even looking at your list of stuff that is in there, it is a treasure trove yeah, of some just incredible genre. So I, and I, I do listen to the show. So I've enjoyed the journey of you and your guests. Uh, we love the first time experience. That's something we celebrate and all the stuff that we host because mm-hmm. there is nothing like watching a film for your first time. And whether it's in the theater, at home, I've watched several on my laptop, God help me. But it's always memorable for one reason or another. You should never feel bad about not no, seeing a movie. No, you no. should relish the experience that you get. And you should never put anybody else down for not seeing a movie. I see, oh, well, you've never seen? Like, I. I always say, you've never seen? Awesome. You get to see it yes. now. Right. I, I'm so, jealous. You get to see it for the first time. And and what's great is I can, in this podcast, I get to show it to you and we get mm-hmm. to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, Perfect. again, I've talked about this almost every episode, but what, do, what are your thoughts on this? Like the idea that your viewing might be changed because I'm almost assigning this to you as homework rather than you just naturally, you know, pulling it off a shelf i mean sometimes people need that bump but it's also not you're not like the same way as you know i discovered so many so many movies on up all night or monster vision and i hold those movies dearly this is more of a i'm watching and i'm putting the phone away and maybe it's it's a good thing for me because you know i feel i know i'm going to be talking about it so i better pay attention um but then again it also feels a little more clinical where i'm like this is sort of almost homework for me you know well, and I'm going to do a shameless plug here, but over on Patreon, uh, one of the perks is for regardless of what tier you're on, uh, three times a week, I release about a 10 to 15 minute episode of me reacting to a first time watch. And for me, it's kept me in the discipline of at least watching three new films a week, at least a week wow. to maintain and keep up. So I was, again, thrilled and I actually already released the Psycho 2 episode and I was like, hey, if you keep an eye out for the podcast... But I love it because it gives me an excuse to keep up with the three films a week. 
See, and I need that discipline because I'll fuck around and play a video game or watch UHF again. You know, yep, so I'm, like I, I'm in the same boat, man. Like I, I find reasons not to. I'll, you know, something on TV or I still have cable. I'm like the last human alive. But if I see, there was a point when I had like stars, and every time either Face Off or Last Action Hero was on, my it got to the point where my wife was like, "We cannot watch uh, Face Off again. Like I, we need to stop this. It cannot. We can't do this." Um, and now, of course, I have Pluto TV, so I'm rewatching like Three's Company and uh, Unsolved Mysteries and Price is Right. And it's like wow. I need to get out of that. So this show, again, does provide that discipline um, and, and same with Attack of the Killer podcast. But, uh, you know, I, that's what I love about our unwrapped episodes, too, is that it's it's getting everyone. We had a guest on this most recent episode, Brian Clark. And um, and, and speaking of a 24, like old old timey a 24, we watched the nude vampire and that movie is like absolutely like a 1970s a24 movie um <laughs> that one was a weird one but i was like jason was like i don't know why but i really like this i'm like because you love a24 movies and this is an a24 movie speaking of a24 and going back to psycho 2 uh black coat's daughter director osgood perkins shows up as, as little a little young perkins yeah, yes. and i didn't realize the connection that he's actually anthony perkins son and I like Bob's yeah. good. I yeah. I'm, I said it before on the show, and oh I will boy, say it on here. Osgood Perkins is what Ari Aster wants to be. I I know your stance on those movies. Um, <laughs> our our stance is a little different than our mine, and that's I I respect it. But um, you know, I like um Oz Perkins too. So mm. I, I like I like both of them. I'm glad we exist in a world where both. See, this is why I'm so milk toast, but yet genius is the one with the fiery passion. <laughs> I like what I like and I hate what I hate. So <laughs> I am what I am. <laughs> but wait, does that make me olive oil or uh, Alice the goon? If you're Popeye, because mm. I know I'm not Bluto. <laughs> I'm more wimpy than anything. <laughs> I do like hamburgers on Tuesday. Sandwiches. Um, What's with you and all these sandwiches, kid? Also, the Thurman Merman shit cracked me up. <laughs> well, I I will say this: we do appreciate when uh, people cut their food in cinema whether it's the odd stuff like cobra with the you know the pizza <laughs> no. scissors yeah but that actually made me crave a sandwich that was cut cut like that especially with cutlery <laughs> yeah i i'm the same way when i watch movies like even food i don't like for some reason i'm like i haven't had a good like ham or turkey sandwich on mm -hmm. white bread in a long time oh like, yeah making me hungry shit something i ate all the time when i was a kid there's a certain age where i hit where i just stopped making them it's like we don't i don't keep that stuff in the house you know it's it's because we're all getting old it's or just one of those you things. watch uh peewee's big top and you're like man i haven't had egg salad in so long egg salad mm, my favorite <laughs> oh man so let's or take mr a... t cereal yeah crunch, crunch, oh, crunch. yes yes let's take a quick break and i'll come back with some uh trivia on this but we'll hear from the prescribed films podcast network you're listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. 
So there was quite a bit of trivia on this one, not nearly as much as my last two episodes, which were um, Ghostbusters and Jaws. Obviously, that was like overwhelming, but I was stoked to find some good trivia on this one on IMDb. So we'll go through this and just discuss um, a little bit about it. So the original house set was used and the motel was reconstructed. So I think most people understand like that house stood there is sort of just a big piece of horror history and uh, you know, it's it's like its own character. Like, I can't really think of, I guess, the Monsters House, but that's still not as recognizable. Like, you know, people who've never seen the movie, you could throw this picture up and people are like, oh, that's the mm-hmm. Psycho House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amityville, Amityville maybe. would come into mind. Yeah, those two windows on the top, like, people recognize that, too. Because it looks like a face. Right. Well, and this just goes to show that, like, the original is in the DNA of this movie, you mm-hmm. know, in one way or the other. The whole house is a character in itself. Yeah. Every room yeah. is a character. Well, I sort of wondered about like when he got back and they, you know, took him to his house. Like, did he, he got put away for murder? Did somebody? Did they like the state hire somebody to help clean it? Like, you know, of course the the dude running the uh, hotel was like, you know, I caught some kids fucking in the basement, you know, and it's like. I was just thinking it would be a little more dilapidated over all those years if somebody wasn't there keeping up with maintenance. Like I, I just maybe I just don't know the inner court system. If somebody goes to a mental institute, maybe it's something that you know the state can take care of or something. But he's he only had one family member before you know we find out mm-hmm. who his mom was. But it's like I, I don't. It's not like he had you know a, a aunt or uncle or something coming over and dusting the furniture. So I, I was. And sometimes you have to just suspend your belief for a movie, but um, I was just sort of questioning that. If you read the novel, I think it actually has an entire (laughs) chapter devoted to it. Read the book. No, I mean, the fact that it was almost dilapidated back in the 60s. Right. I mean, it was a a run-down, spooky-ass house then, let alone, like, 23 years later, you know? So, yeah, no, I guess once it reaches maximum level of creepiness it just stays that way <laughs> yeah it can't get any worse like it yeah exactly to the level can't but get he, any more rundown he still had like you know food like some food that he was eating in the covers he had the poison the tea you know and I'm from like, 22 years later that's yeah. a sh- that's shit forensics because if they're like going around collecting evidence of like the horrible murder that? yeah to the point where they're dragging the fucking swamp they don't see like a tin box that almost has like the skull and crossbones on it you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was another interesting thing. Um, when uh, the boy goes missing, she's like, did you drag the lake yet? Like, he went missing 20 minutes ago, lady. Calm your yeah. ass down. Like, you think the sheriff's going to drag the lake because he didn't show up? You know, I, I guess because the girl was like, she get, she got away and said, you know, he was murdered or whatever. But it's like, before we knew that she was the one, you know, doing the shit, it was like, calm the fuck down. Like, you're at the sheriff's station going after him well mm. speaking of good for the sheriff for being like okay calm down i can't just go out and start harassing him for no reason right and i without cause and you shouldn't either you need to leave town good for fucking him because he could have been easily that like well that old bates kid is up to his old tricks again right. let's go get him you yeah know? he was but, likable like he didn't yeah he didn't just harass him the whole movie which in most movies it would be like you think Norman would just not be left alone. Yeah, it was almost like the town was split. Mm-hmm. Like, half of them were like, come on, man, leave him alone. He's paid his debt. And the other half were like, you fucking loony, you know? So it, it felt like almost like more even on the side of like, let him be, you know, like he got a job. Everyone at the diner was cool with him working there. Is basically the guy he fired and, uh, you know, the, the woman going after him. Like, 
outside of that, it seemed like everyone else was like, whatever, he's he's fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which you, you would think, like, in that situation now, people would definitely just fucking try to run him out of town, which is, is sad, but... Uh, Fuck then, they would try to run him out of town. Like... Yeah, yeah. Um, Meg Tilly was never allowed to watch any sort of television as a child, and so had never seen the original Psycho, and was unaware of its significance. She didn't understand why the press was giving all the attention to Anthony Perkins for his comeback role in this movie, and one day on set, Perkins overheard her say... Why is Tony getting all the attention? Perkins was upset, didn't talk to her during filming, and recommended that she be replaced, even though half of her scenes had already been shot. So Meg and uh, Anthony Perkins had a pretty toxic relationship on set here because sort of two egos uh, clashing, but more so she had some beef with him, and then that's where he got his beef with her. Well, you know what? I'm whatever the beef was, I couldn't tell no. right. on screen because I thought the chemistry was legit. Mm-hmm. Like the, seemed... the relationship that was created. I, wow. Well, maybe they channeled that and hatred. used it. Yeah, because like he was awkward, but mm-hmm. she so was she, and they were both like tortured and damaged, and it worked out well. Like that one scene where he's hovering over her with a knife and then she's she doesn't freak out she i mean she goes what are you doing okay put the knife down let's be cool and the next thing you know he she's like caressing him and like coddling him so it was an interesting dynamic and i liked it worked it worked well you couldn't tell that they didn't like each other Mm -hmm. yeah i didn't i don't have this one in my actual notes but i i read in the trivia like that norman um or not norman but anthony perkins actually sort of suggested they add that scene where she holds him because he felt like um norman needed a real like like human scene like where he was just very sympathetic and and obviously he has a lot of them but he felt like there needed to be something where like she also showed that she was not just this gaslighting lunatic that she was actually sort of falling for him in the in like a friendship way like she was she felt for him and she was human too and she was feeling bad that she was doing this and I thought it was a really powerful scene. Uh, he made the right call. Yeah. Well, and it's these human moments and these little tender things that happen. It just makes the movie that much better. But then we still get the gratuitous gore. Then I, I get it's it's such a deftly balanced. <laughs> it movie. is. It is for a slow burn mm-hmm. movie. It's it takes its time where you really get to know these characters and really feel for these characters so when the shocking brutality hits oh, yeah. it fucking hits hard yeah. it hits like a shovel Boom! <laughs> right on the head <laughs> uh, producer hilton a green originally suggested jamie lee curtis to play mary loomis due to her being the daughter of janet lee and having success with halloween uh, jamie lee curtis had a scheduling conflict though and did not want to return to the horror genre after getting such a huge role in 1983's top comedy trading places so we all sort of know like jamie lee after she had that little spiel of horror stuff she really wanted to get out and not get pigeonholed in the genre obviously years later she came running back i'm i'm a jamie lee fan but i know there's some people who sort of feel like she only uses horror when she's in a, a like a, a dry spell um I, I tend to just enjoy her for her. I, I love her, and I'm, I'm happy to have her back in the franchise. And well, the Hall- Halloween that, franchise, that is. Yeah, well, the fact that she worked with Richard Franklin in Road Games, so they had had a connection beforehand. Uh-huh. I think that would be too distracting, though. I think so, I too. mean, and yeah, especially... Too gimmicky. Yeah, way too gimmicky. Plus, like, 
you would have to address the elephant in the room like because you'd have to some sort of like oh she kind of looks like her mom you know i mean they're they're the fact that they're so just that meg tilly looks nothing like a uh, marion crane you know and meg tilly looks like looks nothing like that adds to the pathos and adds to the more sympatheticness it i don't think we would have got the same no not saying that jamie lee curtis isn't this a great actress because she is and she's fucking wonderful but this wouldn't have been the movie for her no, and I mean, she she basically, I mean, she was cast almost as stunt casting in Halloween because of who her mom was and who her, you know, and mm-hmm. and I mean, we have Loomis, we have these characters in Halloween, you know, Carpenter was clearly influenced and loved it, and it's like, it almost get too confusing to bring her back, but she's not playing, I don't know, it just would have been too weird, like, just... You know, I'm glad that they did not that it didn't work out because, like you said, and she by then '83, she was you know big time. Like it mm-hmm. just, yeah. Yep. I'm glad that it went to a more unknown because this was Norman's story. It's about him and let Anthony Perkins have his big comeback. Because at this point, this was like, you know, Jamie Lee returning for the new Halloween or H2O. Like having Anthony Perkins come back as Norman Bates is the equivalent of that. Mm-hmm. Let him have the limelight, you know. I mean, he, it's the titular character. Right. Uh, when Anthony Perkins was ambivalent about the film and leaning towards passing on returning to play Norman Bates, rumors flew that Christopher Walken was going to be cast in the lead role and the film would be a TV movie event. However, Perkins eventually agreed to star in the film. So, um, genius, I need to hear uh, Christopher Walken as uh, Norman Bates, please. Mother, is that you? <laughs> Are you on the line? <laughs> yes, mother. I can't do that, mother. Good of a walk. No, that was that was great. <laughs> you very. That's actually that's one thing I that doesn't come up quite often. No. So now, if you would have said Buck Flowers was an original, that, God damn it, mother, I'm not going to kill. Or <laughs> get that bitch out of my house. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just but, uh, he popped up in. Um, the the Ghostbusters episode too, Christopher Walken. They were talking about casting him in a role, and it's like, man, like I I forget that you know now he's sort of in that Nick Cage category where they sort of cast him as like uh, almost, more stunt casting. Yeah, exactly. We need more psycho. Yeah, but at, back then, you know, he was in. Um, Oh, I'm drawing a blank. The Dead Zone, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's fantastic in that, and that was a first time watch for me, like last year, and. I, I sort of forget that he's he is really good, you know. After like Joe Dirt, he sort of just became like, oh, let's cast Christopher Walken as Christopher Walken. He's just going to be a weird guy in every movie. Yeah, he was great in Mousetrap though, or Mouse Hunt. Yes, yeah, he was great in Mouse Hunt. <laughs> he liked to work. More credit to him. Exactly, but I, I'm I'm glad that you know I don't think this I, this I, wouldn't I, have worked. He couldn't. He wouldn't have been playing Norman Bates because he would have been too over the top with it. And I'm glad they brought back Anthony Perkins I don't to think, be that character. Yeah, I don't think this would have worked at all without Anthony Perkins. Like, you just yeah. have to have him. And I'm glad that they'd just be sad after, like, all this time if they went straight to video. I mean, thinking if they never made the sequels and just did the remake, that's one thing. But And I guess there was a time where, like, everything, like, especially Stephen King stuff was getting put, you know, to TV movies and, and multi-part specials and stuff. And... I'm just glad that this ended up being like a big theatrical return. Okay, so 22 years later from the original Psycho 2 came out, theoretically, 
22 years from Psycho remake is was last year. Would you buy a Psycho 2 remake with Vince Vaughn? Yeah, I I mean, the original is just so forget. I mean, it's the same thing. So what do they do? Another shot-for-shot shot remake of this? And it's directed by Ari Aster. Fuck that noise. <laughs> Fuck that noise. You knew how to get him riled up. And yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Because I was thinking, like, okay, I'll even... I, w- I wouldn't go Gus Van Sant again. I would maybe fucking try somebody else, but not Ari Aster. You know, then, then it literally would be a shot-for-shot shot remake of this. It would be nothing but gaslighting and crying. So, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, mid-psycho. That's what it would be. Mother I, wants you to wear this corn. Mother made you some pink lemonade, you know, and it's like, no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you could stay in my motel motel, and everybody's like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, no, I'm going to pass on that one. Never mind. Your Honor, I like those last remarks stricken from the record. I don't want to bring it. I don't want a Psycho 2 remake. Okay, the original shower head used in Psycho was supposed to have been used in this film as well. However, just before filming was to commence, someone stole it. Ah. So so it's probably on the black market somewhere or just like sitting in someone's basement. They don't even know what they have. But how can you fucking tell? Like, oh, this is the shower head from Psycho. Yeah. It's not like it's got a certificate of authenticity. I mean, I could probably go to like Home Depot and like get some old shower, throw it in the dirt, and beat it up for a little bit. And like, eh? If you, eh? Look, if you look really close, it has one of Janet Lee's pubes on it. There you go. Oh. Boink! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, composer jerry goldsmith had written a musical theme for norman bates that director franklin rejected the theme ended up being used in twilight zone the movie Ooh, so that's sort of cool um back Mm. then it seems like that was very common where it's like you didn't want my music i'll just sell it to another movie and we'll use it mother wants to know if you want to see something really scary (laughs) Quentin Tarantino has stated that this is one of his favorite films and that he prefers it to the original Psycho. Hmm, I can see that. I I can see a lot of people really digging this more than the original, Mm -hmm. Um, especially if maybe this was your first Psycho and you reverse engineer into it. Uh, That's the beauty of this franchise, though, is the fact that there is a franchise that they capitalized on what was working in the 80s and for a while, I mean, even in uh, Psycho the Beginning, isn't it Olivia Hussey playing Hello? his mom? Hello? Yeah. I'm, I'm positive. It's either her or um, Jane Russell. Ooh. No, no, no. What's her bucket from um, the James Bond film Live and Let Die? Oh, uh, Jane Seymour. Jane Seymour. There we go. Thank Ooh. you. Ooh. I like Olivia Hussey. Either or. That and uh, Henry Thomas. Check it out. Henry Thomas is in it? He is. Sorry, we're going off track here. No, My apologies, no, Tad. No, absolutely not. Because then I'm thinking, like, you know, what with your comment of like some people might have seen this first. I'm like. In my mind, I'm like, why would they do that? But then again, like, I think my first Halloween movie was Halloween 6. I think my first Friday the 13th movie yep. was, like, Jason Takes Manhattan or something. Like, I watched them all out of order, you know? So it's not a stretch to think someone might have seen Psycho 2 before the original. So, well, what, like, and, is and, there any of those, like, slashers that you guys, like, what order did, what was the first Halloween movie you guys saw? Two for me. I'm old enough that it was one for me. Okay. Yeah, no, it was two. It was two on TV. Um, but going back, uh, oh, never mind. I just lost where I was at. We're talking about about Tarantino and preferring this to the original. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I could also see why a lot of 
people nowadays would prefer this one because not saying that the other one was if you look at it from fresh point of eyes you could see the other one is like oh it's just the same plot points as all the other slasher movies we've seen without thinking that this is the archetype fucking blueprint for slasher movies that we've seen but also one good thing i can say about not i'm shaking my fist but one good thing about these kids today is they're more concerned with empathy and they're more concerned with the feelings of others because like we said earlier dealing with the the um mental illness that norman has yeah, in this one first was, yeah. was so taboo back in the day but it would play perfectly today because people are more like okay more aware of the gaslighting more aware of like okay we probably should pe- treat people with respect he paid his time <clears throat> and so i think it would play more today and i could see why some people it's not especially the younger kids but definitely people who didn't necessarily grow up with the reverence of psycho mm. would prefer this one over the original plus it's got significant more gore yeah i mean and, and i think about you know like the times we've played um, the original friday 13th the original halloween at the capitol theater and um you know to me like the my favorite film of all time is john carpenter's halloween so when i'm watching it with an audience of young people who either haven't seen it or are seeing it like the first time with an audience and they're doing what you talked about earlier. They laugh at some stuff, but it's not necessarily laughing at serious stuff. They're laughing at, you know, PJ souls totally, which is a funny moments, but like there's, there's scenes to me that like when I was a kid, you know, it like broke my mind when, you know, Michael did like, he jumps out from, you know, the car seat in the back and they, they laugh at like the kills and stuff. And it, it's like, it's like shatters my heart inside. Cause I, I hear these, you know, you can go on YouTube and listen to like original recordings from 78 yes, when audiences yes. were losing their goddamn minds watching it. And Here it's in like the city. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it, it's almost heartbreaking to play it to a modern audience who, who just laughs through the whole thing. But it's like, yeah, I think you're right where, you know, people probably still have that same reaction to the original Psycho. It's like this old black and white movie. And I've seen all these, all these, exactly what you said, you know, these are all the things, but it's like Psycho and Halloween are the two movies that, you know, Psycho set up the rules for, for a horror movie. And then Halloween head up, hit up, you know, the final girl and don't have premarital sex and don't drink and do drugs, you know, and people now are so desensitized and know all the rules, you know, thanks scream Wes Craven. But it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, people forget that this is the movie that set up that, like there was Mm -hmm. no, there was no rules before that movie. It set the rules. So, you know, I, I do think, you know, maybe, uh, people might like psycho two more because it's, it is very, it was ahead of its time in a way. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I also think, especially with the slasher genre is every 10 years, every 20 years, something happens within it, a film, a movement that refreshes it, makes it relevant again, makes people go back to some of the other slashers from the time. And that's what I love with this film is it is so many different things. So not necessarily a film from 1983, but yet it is. And I think more people will come to find it. Um, I actually picked up a Blu-ray set of this, but I'm pretty sure a boutique Blu-ray put out a decent edition of it not too long ago if i'm really? not mistaken i think huh. i think uh scream factory okay. did, did okay. the sequels they didn't do the original but they did get the rights to do maybe two and three. Oh, because like criterion owns the hitchcock 
Yeah. And don't they? I mean, the, oh, yeah. the original Hitchcock movies. Yeah, it's incredible. It's yeah. it, the, so the fact that you have so many different methods of, and then of course all the extra features that go on. And hey, shout out to Justin Beam and uh, Revenant Entertainment. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Killing it on all these releases, like bringing us all kinds of great stuff. And and of course, you know, we don't have to preach to the choir. I think most of our audience are people who still collect physical media and love watching special features and love attending mm-hmm. special screenings and theaters and and find the um, importance of seeing a film with an audience, uh, you know, on a big screen. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's, I would love to see this one on a big screen. I've seen the original psycho several times on the big screen. Uh, at the That'd theater. be rad. Yeah. Like I think the, our, we have a local community college and they work with us at the, at the Capitol and they had a film, a short, very short lived film club. And um, they played the original Evil Dead, and they played Psycho, and then I'm trying to think of, they played like an old war movie, and it was like a bummer, because when they started and they were booking these things, I was like, oh, this is fucking great, they're they're getting these movies in the theater, they're paying for the right, so like, we don't have to stress about, mm-hmm. you know, getting people in the doors, I was so stoked, and then no one in the film club showed up for their own screenings. Oh. So it was like, it was like me and my friends and, and like one or two people would come to one, like what came to one of the movies. And I'm like, do you guys want to introduce it? And they're like, not really. I'm like, they're, they're arguing over who has to go up and introduce it. Cause they're all shy. Oh, no. And I'm like, guys, this is like your moment. Like you get to play one mm-hmm. of your favorite. This, this is great. You are watching, you know, Sam Raimi's evil dead and HD on the big screen. This is so cool. Like have your shiny moment, get up here and it's uh, okay yeah and basically like they just stop sort of sh- stop showing up and then they, they, we we stopped booking films but i'd love to have that back but yeah that's that's how i saw um not for the first time but um i do think seeing something with an audience on a screen presents a different you know a whole different viewing experience well, oh you know, absolutely we're pretty lucky we draw a pretty diverse age range on friday night frights and we do have some of the youngsters and, and they we, really dig some of the old stuff. They really do. And I will say this, though. We do stress and try to cultivate a etiquette like, listen, you know, no talking, no texting. Let's all enjoy this. Laugh uh, with, not yeah, at. All that kind of stuff. Um, but, yeah, we've actually had good responses to a lot. And again, let's scare Jessica to death. Worked really well. Uh, as well as a Friday the 13th film. Yeah. As well as um, everything from Night of the Creeps and... Pieces. Yeah. Oh, boy, Pieces. Pieces, Pieces. That's a, that's a, that's a theater movie right there. That's one, uh, surprisingly, my mom found once on DVD. I had never heard of it or seen it. In, I was maybe in high school, maybe early high school, late middle school. like right when DVDs sort of... Um, were hitting like I had a, I had my first DVD player in a very small collection and she brought pieces home and she found it for like six dollars somewhere and I was like what is like my mom brought me this and I watched it I'm like oh I cannot let my mom know what she bought me because if she saw what I was what she brought home it would be a weird conversation at the dinner table all of a sudden she walks in here I love having sex and smoking pot on a waterbed <laughs> yeah she, she I mean the cover says it's exactly what you think you it think is. it is right so I don't know what, what she was, you know, I don't know what she thought it was, but you know, um, ever since it's been one of my favorites. Um, but we have a few more pieces of trivia here. The universal studios, pieces. Ba- uh, yeah, there trivia. we go. Yeah. The, the universal studios backlot is used to represent the town of Fairville. It was later used to represent Kingston falls and gremlins and Hill Valley and back to the future and back to the future part two. So, um, a very infamous backlot. I didn't catch on to that uh, myself. It looks, you know, th- they've done enough to make it um, be its own thing. But it's it's mm-hmm. just, man, can you, I mean, of course, Dean Cundy, you know, and, and uh, 
Goldsmith. I mean, they all have this like weird connection to all these movies. They're all intertwined somehow. Yeah. Well, on the back lot, I'm surprised we didn't see um, Mr. Futterman running around because he seems to be in. <laughs> well, it's like, not a Dante flick. So. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that would have made it. I'm surprised he doesn't have some kind of connection to this. It seems like his crowd. He's everywhere. Yeah. The Futterman curse. Yeah, and and the last one, but not least, I found this one very interesting. Mr. Brian De Palma himself declined to direct this movie, so apparently it was offered to him, and he turned it down. And we know that he is, you know, obviously the biggest of yeah. Hitchcock fans. And uh, of course, there's always the what if. It would have been cool, um, but I don't, I don't know. Can you, can you possibly have made this, you know, any better? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't it would have. Well, we would get the split cam with the creep cam on the eyeballs. That's so true. So one side we'd see the eyeball, and the other side we'd see Tilly, and like. Yeah, and probably a lot more nudity and yeah. a lot more gore. I mean, I think we would. See, although it'd be, it'd be probably it might be a little bit more sleazy, or maybe he's restrained. No, this is eighty two, eighty three. This is eighty three. This is eighty three. De Palma. It could go get sleazy. It's but gonna get do you, sleazy. Do you think if he was doing a um, sequel to Psycho, Garrett Grimm is the runner of the motel. <laughs> well, he does actually have that nice shower scene in uh, Phantom of the Paradise. <laughs> With the plunger, yep. so that re re re. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, I mean, like I said, that's just a big what if. But I think they assembled a really good team and made this its own thing, and it turned out really great. But of course, De Palma's the man, so I, I'm gonna always wonder what if. And and who knows? I mean, I I pulled these from IMDb. They could be complete bullshit. Um, but talking about like the split screen with the eyes, one thing I didn't put in my notes, but I remember reading was that. Um, one of the scenes where like Meg Tilly is looking through the hole in the wall and an eye meets her, that scene where it's like, holy shit, you know, she's looking through and someone looks back at her. They actually filmed it so that Meg Tilly's own eye was looking back at her Ooh. to disorient audiences to be like, that looks like her eye because she has, you know, the Tillys have very yeah. distinct eyes. Um, I didn't catch that watching it, but apparently I, re I read that in a trivia that, um, you know, the director actually, yeah, shot her on both sides of the wall and, and put it so that she would be looking at her own eye and we'd be like, is that she's looking at herself? How in the hell is that possible? Because, you know, it, it sort of plays with us psychologically, too. Like, are we going crazy with Norman? Um, you know, his real mom? What's that mean that his real mom's alive? You know, we're, we're sort of put through the same journey, not not to the point where we think we're crazy, but, um, you know, it, it is a psychological, a little bit of psychological fuckery. Well, in fairness, I don't want to get peeped on, but if I was going to get peeped on, I wouldn't. I would rather be peeped on by a Tilly, yes. than Norman Bates. Absolutely, you know what I'm saying? If, if like, I'll choose your Tilly, Meg or Jennifer. They they can peep on me if they'd like. I give, <laughs> I grant them full peeping permission. <laughs> I, I can't believe we're talking about peeping permission. I apologize, Tad. This late into the show. <laughs> No, I think that's sort of a good segue to um, say, <laughs> is there any any final thoughts you guys had on Psycho 2 before we um, wrap this up? It came in an hour and 50 minutes. I normally like films at 90 minutes. I felt the hour and 50 minutes were earned. Um, seek this out if you have not seen yes. it. It really is well worth your time. Very underseen, underrated. Because... Um, you don't hear Psycho 2 a lot in the horror community. Nobody's like, oh, man, fucking Psycho 2. But now I'd be like, dude, Psycho 2 is a really good movie, especially, like, dealing with the monsters. Like, a sympathetic monster. It's it's way ahead of its time. 
And I think hopefully now it's finding its audience because it's it's well deserved. Yeah, when I mentioned um, the sequels, like went back when I bought this Blu-ray set, probably a year or so, or maybe less. Um, I sort of mentioned it in our like little. We have like an Attack of the Killer podcast chat, and um, I think Andy was really the only one that had seen them. And he's like, you know, oh, two's really good, and three's uh, you know, blah blah. And he, I, I tried not to listen to his um, input just because I didn't want to be going into it with a, a certain frame of mind. But like most, I think, you know, uh, several Terry and a few other people are like, I've never seen them. I'm going to buy the set too. You know, I want to check them out. Um, cause I've heard, you know, that they're worth watching. And so, uh, you know, does the set of the standard edition Blu-rays without all the bells and whistles can be found pretty cheap out online. I bought mine from Amazon for like 10 bucks with all the sequels and includes the original, um, they're also streaming on Peacock or, um, as we mentioned, I think you can get, I think it was shot factory. They might be out of print, so they might be a little more pricey, but, um, these are uh, widely available. There's, there's no reason to not seek these out. So I will say I recommend this one. How about you guys? Absolutely. Of course. Hands down. Well, definitely but, a vacancy for this one. Yes, that's a good. <laughs> yeah. Um, before I let you guys go, um, are there any? I, I like to let people confess. Are there any big um, movies that people might be surprised that you haven't checked off your list and and you want to get off your chest? Let people know because we celebrate that here. We love when people haven't seen things because uh, that means you get to experience them for the first time. I I always tell people Lord of the Rings never seen a single Lord of the Rings movie. Um, but there's I mean you guys see my list. I'm putting mm-hmm. myself out there, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. People assume that I've seen everything. I haven't. I have. There's a lot of great movies I that I have not checked off my list, but I'm going to give you guys the floor and see if there's anything out there that you want to get off your chest. So in the month of October at Screenland, uh, they do this thing called Shocktober, where almost every night of the week they do play a horror film. And there are several that I'll be seeing for the first time, and I'm so happy to be filling in my Argento gap because I'm going to be watching opera for the first time. But I do know that it's all about the eye trauma because, of course. The cover, uh, yeah, and the poster art. It's got the great score because, of course, but it's it's Argento, and it's just one of those films that I just haven't seen yet. So I've been... Super excited to see it on the big screen. I was going to say, I mean, the opportunity to not only check it off your list, but to see it with an audience in a theater in October. Holy shit. I mean, it doesn't, well, get, it doesn't get better. I put together the trailer reel, and I'm, uh, just an insight here. It ends with the trailer for Inferno. And if you haven't seen that in a while, go check it out, because there is escalating cat shenanigans in that video in the trailer. Is that the one where the cats get all thrown on that lady and kill her? Yes. Oh, that's awesome. That's how I'm going to die. I think that's how I'm going to die. I think the cats are going to attack me. I think they're going to turn. <laughs> I love the uh, Suspiria teaser with like the skull that is brushing its hair and turns around and it shows. Oh, Tad, if you were only here, my friend, I think you would enjoy everything we're putting together. Oh, I'm, I, <laughs> that's what I say. I'm always like, I'm super jealous of what you guys are doing because I, I basically am trying to do a small scale down um, rinky dink version here at the Capitol. And, you know, I, I am always envious, but genius. Let's hear what if you have anything you want to get off your chest. I'm trying to think. I'm pretty open about what I haven't seen or haven't. And the bad thing is I don't know what I haven't seen. What the Palma films haven't you seen? Have you seen Sisters? I have not seen Sisters, and I have not seen Dress to Kill. I yeah, I think Dress to Kill is on my list, too. I've, I've seen Sisters, but I haven't seen Dress to Kill. People always go after my... I have like a lot of early um, Scorsese films on my list. 
And mm-hmm. one thing that like film fans, when they see that letterbox list of things I haven't seen, they're like, what the fuck do you not, do you just hate Scorsese? I'm like, no, I actually, I've seen like all of his later stuff. I've just, I haven't checked off a lot of the early stuff. And, and yeah. Taxi Driver is one of my favorite movies of all time. So there's no reason. It's just a matter of getting time. And now it's almost an averse thing where with the show, I'm like, I can't just watch a movie to watch it now because I ha- it has to be for content. It has to be for a podcast. So um, it's almost debilitating to a point where, um, you know, I-, I should just watch things and watch things. And if someone wants to record at a certain point, do it. But um, I don't know. It's, it's a double-edged sword. It, and it's also like kind of, it sucks when like uh, people like, and of course you've seen this, 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 this. And I'm like, uh no and people assume that i have like this vast knowledge of movies and i mean yeah i've seen a shitload of movies but not all of them so like when people are like oh you've never seen um this scorsese i've never seen raging bull and i've never seen serpico so like so or, and i and i've never seen french connection so like when I say things like that, like I even saw you like, ooh, Serpico, you know? So like I've never seen this these movies before when I know I ha- should have seen. Now I can tell you about Dog Day Afternoon, I, but I've never seen it. Yeah. So a lot of these classic and especially like 70s movies, I've never seen. Like these, these pop culture landmarks from the 70s, I still haven't seen. Yeah, I have Raging Bull on Blu-ray. I've owned it for probably five years, and I've never seen it. I've never had a, and even before the podcast, it's just one of those things where I'm like, I know this is a classic. I picked it up for, you know, probably cheap on some, like, Black Friday sale or something. And I was like, I know I need to see this. And I just haven't got around to it. And, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. I have Now I have a dedicated shelf um in my collection where i put stuff I, I go through and i find stuff i haven't seen i put it there so i i have to see it every time i enter and exit my movie room and it's it's not a burden but it's a reminder you know of like it's almost like a good thing because i'm like i can start chipping this off and then of course i place another you know vinegar syndrome order and add fucking 10 movies and I, i'm back to where i started but you know that's the beauty of of film fans but i also you know i always tell people on the show like to remind people like when, when someone tells you they haven't seen something, you know, and, and it's up to you, but just don't react. Like I, you've never seen that. Oh my God. Because that discourages, that right. encourages people from seeing it, but also encourages people to lie. Like I, I've been in situations where I'm like, I almost have to tell people like, yeah, I've it's, seen that. It's okay. Cause, Cause it's overwhelming. Or, or I tell people, I almost lie where I'm like, you know, yeah, I've seen that. Or, or the classic one is, you know, I ha- it's been, it's been a lot of years, but I saw it when I was, or I've seen bits and pieces or, you know, whatever. It's like, just own it, man. Like it's okay to not have seen something. Um, it's not a competition. We're not, you know we all celebrate films so i think it should be celebrated that you know you haven't seen things because that means you get to experience them for the first time and as adults it's probably we're going to appreciate things more you know mm-hmm. yeah, we, we do mention a lot about the baggage we bring to each viewing and how it changes and that's the fun thing of film is it can change every single time you watch it so we love the first time watches and then again i'll eventually watch psycho 2 again yeah and i'm down to watch psycho 3 yeah, uh, yeah, this will lead me down a uh, hole of checking out the, the sequels. Probably, yeah, just add them to my October list, you know. Uh, just, I always associate Hitchcock with Halloween time, so um, they'll be classics. But where can people find Nightmare Junkhead? Um, here's your spot to have the floor and let people know all about what you have coming up and where they can find you. Uh, certainly. Well, of course, if you're on Twitter, uh, you can find us at Nightmare Junk uh, on Facebook mm-hmm. at Nightmare Junkhead. 
And that's actually, we do have, do we do the spiel? It is on the book of face where we have an events that do it, do it. We have, no, I can't do it. Anyway, go there, check it out. We shenanigans do <laughs> and plugging shenanigans. I always feel awkward. I can't help it, but no, <laughs> that's where we do list all the Friday night frights that are coming up. Our uh, seventh nerdoween again, all the shocktober stuff, screenland.com, uh, patreon.com slash nightmare junkhead mm-hmm. there. That's, that's, you know, pretty shameless. Yeah, no, no, absolutely uh, not. You sh- I mean, you're you're providing content for people you guys I, I love your show i'm a listener and i think it's important to get that out there you know it's not like you're forcing anyone to do it i think it's oh, yeah. you know no. that's what you're here for plug away man no no and, that that's all that's all oh and, the and then, don't, yeah don't forget to check out the kansas city horror club that we're on facebook um also check out all the shenanigans that we're doing on screenlandonline.com that's where you can find um some of our shutter shout outs and other things like that and of course uh we're on we're like on all the podcast places that you want to be at. So just search up Nightmare Junk. And uh, if you want to hear more of me, check out uh, Meteor Rewind. Also a podcast I do over The Walking Dead. So, yeah, check it out. There's a lot of good stuff. With yeah. a friend that he's had for for, for about 30 years. Yeah. yeah, with a lifelong friend of mine. So <laughs> Yeah, we're, if you're listening to this on any platform, I guarantee there are shows on the same platform. So, you know, if you're listening to a podcast, you know how to find them. But... Uh, I'll make sure to tag everything in the notes on the show and, you know, make sure to tag you on socials and everything. But uh, I I just so you guys are doing God's work with the horror stuff. Um, I'm just I I love that you're you're just so actively busy. It's just one of those things. I always say when I meet people through Jason, it's just like a certain breed of people that are just they they have a, a strong passion for film and they're just, you know, making things happen. I've always sort of said that here in town is like, if you, if you should never complain about how boring your town is. You should always just try to try to do things that you like that mm-hmm. you want to go. Just if if you're bored, then make something happen. You know, that's how the horror club started. Yeah. We was like, let's do something spooky. Okay. And then here we are 10 years later. Yeah. I, and like I said, I, I just love everything you guys are doing in Kansas city. It's, it's like this, um, it's sort of like an extended family. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm over here in Iowa. We make the trip, um, you know, and, and, my first time meeting you guys it was like you know it was like meeting a family member that i i had been i didn't know i had you know it's like a brother that i i didn't know was uh related to me or something it's just you guys are just so nice and and open arms it's midwest nice and you know i'm just i can't wait to see you guys at halloween palooza so it's gonna be rad we can't wait yeah, I'm I'm stoked and it's it's nice to be doing things again. So I'm I'm happy to see you guys busy again. You know, we had a long year without doing mm-hmm. shit, and it was you guys are still doing stuff online in that time, but it's just not the same as as being face to face and and being in a theater. But um, you know, you did what you could while while you you know things were in bad shape. So uh, again, thanks so much, guys, for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure talking Psycho too. Thanks again for listening to today's episode. If you enjoy the show please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. A special thank you goes out to my friend Scott Schreiner for our intro and outro music. We'll see you next week on First Time Podcast. <laughs>